my god, this wine is. Ha- we haven't even started the podcast, and this wine is <laughs> hitting tired. me. Holy <laughs> sh! <laughs> I, it just like hit me now. I was like, damn. Girl, it is Friday. I'm ready to kick back with some disappearances. <laughs> like. I hope so. Wait, okay. Should I should I just jump into the story and like really throw you on your ass? Throw me on my ass, and also I don't even know what this is about. Like normally you'll text me what case <laughs> we're going over. I don't even know. I'm coming in hot. You're coming in hot, and I'm ready to I'm ready to go. Okay, so this is one that we had on the books for a while ago. This was Brian Schaefer. I probably mentioned that a few times ago, but I wanted to do this one to like for this case specifically because like there's always something that comes up where I'm like, oh, we'll do it another time, another time. Now we finally get to do it. This is one of the, I don't say this often, it's one of the eeriest disappearances I think you're ever going to hear on this podcast. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, so you get ready. <laughs> now, before we jump in, of course, I will say a huge thank you to all of the creepers who are listening. Thank you so much for listening to Creep Time, the podcast. And welcome, by the way, to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. Please, please, please make sure to rate the podcast. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, that really does help the podcast and we appreciate it. Stu, I will toss it over to you. If there's anything you want to say to the creepers. <laughs> I know. Now, I, now I've set myself up for this like weird little segment each time. <laughs> no, that, to... they love it. You you don't. Un- First of all, okay, I, I'm feeling the drunk <laughs> severely now. <laughs> like, Stu, we have not We've got through the exposition. Week. Okay, but we've had a damn week. We deserve this wine. I'm telling uh, you. I'm tr- I'm like wine drunk for Jesus. <laughs> Please go on, go on. Creepers. I have nothing in my stomach. Nothing. Creepers, we. I love you. I so appreciate the chance to do this each week with Silas. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I'm like losing my mind. All right. Now, with that, let's jump straight into this case. This is the case of Brian Schaefer. So I will start and I'll give you some top line for this because this is a classic disappearance case. Um, Although people loved when we deviated from the disappearances. They were like, we love the paranormal for the Nahani Valley. Mm -hmm. We loved Tika Adams. They loved that. (laughs) The messages I got and they were like, this is insane. You guys like really went off on that one. Tika Adams, like... Just, I mean, I know I said this before, but that day I was fully unprepared for what you did to me that day. Like, I literally was like, I should have sent you a warning. That's like as bad as when I threw you the Jalea Davis case out of nowhere. And you were just like, how am I supposed to go on with my evening? Oh my God. But you know I love it. Well. I know, I know. Well, the Brian Schaefer case is interesting because we're going to have a lot of theories. We'll get to ponder on it a bit. So let me give you a top line here. So, like I said, we cover quite a few disappearances on this podcast. That is the crux of the podcast. Many of which I feel like oscillate around similar things of like a young man, a young woman who goes missing. This one is a bit different. It's a bit stranger than usual, like I said, because some of the final moments of Brian Schaefer are caught on camera. But the most mysterious part about this case, too, is that Brian Schaefer is seen walking into a bar, which only has, like, one exit, and he never came out. Wait, How I'm is that sort possible? of, I'm remembering this, I'm remembering this. It's a, it's a pretty famous okay, case, okay, I will okay. say. Like, Brian Schaefer, yeah, Brian Schaefer is, is one for the books. Now, 
this mystery has plagued investigators for like over a decade at this point because it just seems physically impossible. So we will do a deep dive into some of the theories, but I want to give you some backstory on just who Brian was and maybe color a bit of the story in some context as to why he might have been out this night, what might have happened. So Brian Schaefer was born on February 25th, 1979, which I still think makes him an Aquarius, right? Like me? Wait, February 25th. I don't know. He might be a Pisces. Is he cussed? Is that the next in day? It would be like right then. Well, cusp. cusp. Now, he grew up in Pickerington, Ohio, which is a suburb that's outside of Columbus. And he was the eldest son um, for his younger brother, Derek, and his parents, Randy and Renee Schaefer. Now, Brian grew up as a son with um, like big dreams, really. He was like an exceptional student when he was younger. He ended up graduating from his local high school in 97 and eventually gains his undergrad admissions to Ohio State University. Now... He spends like six years in college there um, before he finally graduates with a degree in microbiology. And this is kind of a tee up to the next phase of his life, his academic career, where he's going to become a doctor. So he gets into OSU College of Medicine by 2004, and he's starting his journey as a medical student. And suddenly tragedy strikes this family. So in his second year of studying... Um, at medical school, his mother, Renee Schaefer, becomes ill with MDS, which is a rare type of blood cancer, and she would pass away very quickly after her diagnosis, which kind of leaves a hole in this family. And although Brian at the time, he sort of presented to people around him that he was coping very well with her illness and her passing, it was later determined when friends came forward after he disappeared that this had severely impacted him, and he was struggling quite a bit internally, but was trying to like hold down the fort while still trying to keep up his studies with the rigorous um, school schedule from med school. So he does see another side to this grief at the time because even though he's struggling internally with this, he had met somebody at med school that year, or I think the year prior, it was another student named Alexis Wagner, and the two had dated, they fell in love, and things were kind of on the up and up to the point where there were even conversations by late 2006 that he was thinking about marriage and probably proposing. Mm. So they had this trip that was coming up, um, this Miami trip, a vacation where he was probably going to propose. That's what her family thought. She thought everybody was assuming that was the game plan. And for context, his disappearance happens about two to three days prior to that trip. Now, before I get into what exactly happened here because everything did seem like it was on the up and up until everything goes very, very wrong. What are your thoughts on Brian, on the situation? I feel like the context of his mother passing, which I, I realized was three weeks before he disappeared, mm. colors the story a lot more. Yeah. Um, so when he ends up disappearing, was he still with Alexis? Oh, yeah. They, they had a trip planned. The trip for Miami was planned oh, for oh, Monday. Oh, he disappeared okay. on a Friday night. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, he just sounds like he really had it all together. Jeez, kind of dream life starting to take place. Potentially, you know, marrying a uh, love of his life, becoming a doctor. Like, it just seemed like a time of, like, a lot of pivotal shifts. Yeah. I feel like, too, like... His mother passing three weeks later, he's expected to propose on top of, like, med school still going on. I guess this does happen technically during his spring break, which also, like, colors this a bit differently. But I'll get into what exactly happened. So now this is the disappearance, the recap. On March 31st, it's a Friday evening. Classes at OSU had already ended for spring break, um, I think the week prior. 
And to celebrate while off from school, his dad takes him out to a steak dinner um, just to celebrate, you know, like mark the occasion. And everything seems totally fine at this dinner. Um, now, it's important. I want to recap the dinner because this is the last time that his dad would ever see him. So it's really crucial, I think, to scrutinize his behavior. According to his father, Brian seemed really normal, like his usual like self. He was kind of like very clearly exhausted, but he told his dad he had been pulling like consistent all-nighters that had kept him up for med school and like keeping up with the schedule. And he had been cramming even on spring break for upcoming exams that would take place after the break. So despite his father's feelings that Brian should maybe like stay in and rest now that he was like off from school, he doesn't voice this to his son. Uh, and he doesn't protest when Brian says he's going to go out that night to go with his friend, William Florence, who also goes by Clint. And they head out that night, and this is where everything goes wrong. So this marks the start of the final few hours where we know that Brian was out. We roll around to 9 p.m. that evening, and this is when Brian and Clint head out to the first bar to get drunk that night. It's The, in the intention of the night is they're going to blow off some steam and get really, really fucked up. So they end up going to the, get this, the Ugly Tuna Saluna no. is the name of the bar. No, <laughs> yes. where are we, Ohio? We're in Ohio, baby. Columbus. <laughs> Wait. Oh, God. No. That's just the not ugly the bar tuna. where you want to disappear. Oh, God. It's it's the bar. It's the bar, babes. Oh, so they go to the Ugly Tuna Saluna. It's a bar on the South Campus Gateway Complex um, on High Street in Columbus. Everything's really casual. Um, like an hour passes. They're just hanging out. And Brian calls his girlfriend, Alexis. And she's all the way back in, like, Toledo. She's home from school, like, visiting her family just before they're going to go on this trip together. Mm. And, you know, it's not really clear why he calls her, but even from her account, she's like, he seemed very normal on the phone. Like, he's just kind of calling to, like, check in on her, make sure, like, oh, did you get in okay? Like, how was your, like, your flight or your ride? Um, everything's pretty fine. So that call ends. The night carries on. And according to Flint, or Flint, not Flint, Clint Florence, this is when you can feel the wine creeping in. <laughs> hey, here's the thing. We're in the Midwest. We're near Michigan. Flint is a famous town. I there's 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 a there's a I'm conflating multiple cases. <laughs> yes. So Clint Florence, I think it was a Freudian slip or a spoonerism, that's what it's called. Yes. They end up going to a bar, they like bar hop. So they're shifting down bar to bar, and the way Clint described it, for every bar they get to, they're kind of going in post up, take a shot, hang out for a minute, bounce, go to the next bar. And they're doing this for like a couple of hours, right? So now location-wise, they're heading down to the Arena District, which is like proximity-wise, if they started at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, <laughs> this is like quite a bit of a walk. I'm not entirely sure if they were on foot for all of it, but I think it's presumed they were. So it's like roughly 40 minutes, I think, walking-wise, which probably isn't that bad if you're like drinking along the way and like bar crawling, right? Yeah. It's, it's probably like, it goes by very quick, especially over the course of a couple of hours. So these few hours pass. We roll around onto midnight. They're still out, Brian and Clint. And this is when they meet up with Clint's friend, Meredith Reed, at the Short North for a drink. Now, driving-wise, this takes no time at all because they're like five minutes from the Ugly Tuna Saluna. So she's like, I'm going to drive you guys back to like the original bar you started in and I'll come in for a round. Now, this is important because while they're here... Brian would separate from them and nobody knows why. So they described it like that. He just sort of like wandered off. Like they were turned around for a second. They turned back and he's gone and they can't find him. So maybe assuming like nothing like sinister right off the bathroom, like he went to the bathroom, 
maybe he called his girlfriend again or like maybe something, I don't know, something else happened. Nothing seems out of the ordinary. So they spend part of that final hour though, when he doesn't come af- like come back after a few minutes, trying to find him around the bar. They're calling his cell and they can't seem to reach him. But everything had been fine up until that point. He hadn't let on that he was like blackout and he hadn't let on that he was upset or anything. He just kind of vanished. So according to their story, the search for Brian would go on until the bar closes around 2 a.m. And they have to exit, like they have to get out of the bar with the crowd. So they wait outside of the bar at the street level, hoping that maybe he'll come and find them and just meet them there and like say goodnight or something. And he never does. So they just assume they're like, maybe he just like went home because he's only about six blocks away, like his apartment from the bar. And this is backed up by camera footage too, that all this happened. So they're just like, all right, I guess we just go home. And that is the last moment that they saw Brian. Now, Brian never came home that night, and he didn't contact his dad the next day. Um, So his father didn't even know anything was, like, suspicious or really off because Brian lived on his own at this point. So he just kind of assumes his son maybe, like, slept off a hangover and, like, never called his dad. Or maybe he was, like, preoccupied with friends while he was drinking the night before. Like, anything could have happened. Saturday rolls around. He doesn't get the call. Sunday morning rolls around. He still doesn't call his dad. So his dad starts to feel that something's maybe off here and he gets a little worried. By Monday morning, Brian missed the booked flight to Miami that they had planned, him and Alexis. So then everybody knows something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And they contact the Columbus Police Department. And the second this investigation launches, police realize this is far eerier than what anyone anticipated. Now, before I get into that investigation, initial thoughts on the Brian Schaefer case. Um, okay, like, I guess something that immediately kind of hit me is this, like, Meredith character. Um, Meredith Reed, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm I'm not going to assume that there's anything, you know, um, sinister with her, but it's just weird. Like, you introduce a new person, and then all of a sudden, like, something odd happens. I don't know. Just... Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was clear whether that was his first time meeting her. It seemed like not, but she was described in the research as Clint's friend, mm-hmm. not Brian's friend. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like they were comfortable enough. Um, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I tried to peg, like, whether Clint or Meredith, like, did anything shady at all. But mm-hmm. so much of their behavior, even to the end of the night, is corroborated and captured on camera that it's, like, it seems like their story is kind of backed up. Yeah. It just seems like something happened to Brian that was, like, very separate of them. It's odd. Do we know how long Clint and Brian were, like, are they very, very good long-time friends? Or are they relatively new friends? Well, it depends how we define relatively new. I think they were med school friends, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Or at least college friends, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Because if, like, think about you and me. If we went into a bar... And I was gone for two hours. I, wouldn't you be I would like, freak what out. the hell? Where is she? Like, you'd, you'd find me. You wouldn't just be like, oh, Especially with fine. my true crime brand, yeah. Sue. I'd have a SWAT team out there. First of all, best believe I wouldn't call county police. I'd have state on the line. And I'd be like, she's gone. She's gone. <laughs> we need the dogs. Get the dogs. Get the dogs. Um, yeah, there's just no way. I mean, I would immediately start to... I'd probably start panicking after, like, a good 30 or 40 minutes, like... Yeah, well, there's a, so there's a few things here that we have to consider. We're in a different age in terms of, like, cell phones, too. This was 2006, so cell phones weren't iPhones mm. quite yet. Like, not everybody had an iPhone, so contacting somebody 
was a little bit different, but also the proximity of how close his house was, like his apartment, to the bar. Uh. So maybe that could have shifted their thinking where they're like, well, he does live like walking distance from the bar. He was pretty drunk, so maybe he just felt sick and he was like, I'm going to call it a night and then his phone is dead and he's obviously drunk. He's not going to charge it. Maybe he was That's, just different. Yeah. I don't know. We're like too young to like tell what that time was like for adults because we weren't adults. Yeah, that makes sense. But I guess it was this on a Saturday night. It was a Friday night into Saturday. So I guess like midnight strikes yeah. and technically it's April 1st. Okay. Saturday morning. Okay. So and nobody started to wonder come like Saturday, Sunday. It was till Monday that everybody was like. Like, that just seems crazy to me that you wouldn't check up on somebody after not seeing mm. them for... Maybe, still, maybe it was just, like, a difference in, like, the time period or, like, yeah. how... Like, because not everybody... Even when we talked about the Jamesons, they were people who, like, didn't contact their friends every single day. So maybe if a couple of days pass, it's not super unusual. Yeah. Especially if the guy just came off from med school. Um, I would think it would be more unusual for his girlfriend not to hear from him. Right? Yes, that's what I was thinking. Did she not yeah. go... What? Because she certainly didn't, did she arrive at the airport and he wasn't there? I think that, yeah, I think that was what happened. Yeah, she oh literally came to meet him and she was like, this has been odd for the last couple of days that I can't reach him, but maybe he's going through something. We're also keeping this in like the mindset that he had just gone through like a traumatic loss. Yeah. Maybe she's like, he's going through something mentally right now. Like he needs time to decompress or like maybe he just needs a day where like he doesn't have to talk to me. Ed, but then when he doesn't show up for the airport, she's like, that's, that's not, that's weird. Like yeah. that's, something's off. Mm. I don't know. Well, this is only a sliver of how mysterious this gets. Oh my gosh. Because we know about that version of the disappearance. Now we have what happens on camera. So let me get into the investigation. We have the investigation that is swift, right? It starts, they begin retracing his night, starting at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. I'm never going to get over that. Me neither. Name. Me neither. <laughs> Where, luckily, this bar had just installed new security cameras outside because they had had, like, an uptick in crime recently. So this footage would prove paramount in the case of Brian because he's seen multiple times. So let's first review the footage of when Brian is with, his, with the two friends, right? Clint and Meredith. So they're seen coming up the escalator of the building into the bar at exactly 1.15 a.m. This is their final return to the bar. So if you remember, they were down in, like, the arena district, I think, when they met Meredith, and she's like, let me drive you. Like, I haven't been drinking. Let me get us back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna. I'll come in for a round. That's what we're seeing on camera at 1.15. Now, the next timestamp where we see him, it's 1.55 a.m. outside of the bar. So it's presumed that shortly after he ditched the group... And they didn't know why. He's seen leaving the bar and like goes outside down the escalator and then comes back up the escalator at the 1.55 a.m. mark. The bar closes at 2. Now, he's seen outside of the bar going up the escalator to the entrance with two women. They were unknown at the time. They're very young. They're like roughly around his age, kind of like 20s. He's 27 at the time. And we see on camera, he kind of says like his goodbyes to them. And then he's seen on footage one last time, Stu, walking into the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and he never comes back out. This has perplexed investigators for, like, over a decade. It's insane. So it didn't make any sense to police, like, because the bar only has one public exit at the front door. The only other exits would have been a service exit or the building emergency exit, both of which I think were... 
they weren't used at the time because one of them um, opened directly, I think it was the service exit to an like a live construction site, which was almost impossible to navigate because like if you were sober and going through that, it was going to be hard. If you were drunk, which Brian definitely was at this point, that would have been really dangerous. So police believed it was extremely unlikely, if not impossible, that he left this exit and then went through that construction site and then like made his way somewhere else. It just didn't seem logical. And both of these were in view of the camera. So it, it just didn't happen. I was going to say, were, yeah, were there cameras uh, around both of those yeah. exits? So the camera is stationed at the front entrance of the restaurant where apparently off to the side, just like right to the side of where the camera's view is, those exits would be. So he tech he probably would have been seen, but he just wasn't. There was just no feasible way that he had gotten out of that bar without being caught on camera. It was so confusing. And I would also say that he's a tall guy. He's about 6'2", is what I saw in the reporting. So the question of maybe how intoxicated he was has come up. But I think if you're going to multiple bars and you're taking a shot at each bar, you're probably not like 100%. Yeah, definitely not. It's just more of a question of like, okay, well, we, we can assume he was drunk, but the question is, how did he exit and what happened to him? Any thoughts so far? Now, when the girls that he's coming up the escalator, first of all, why do they have a damn escalator outside of a bar? <laughs> it's <laughs> like, so the most dangerous like a- thing I've ever heard. it's like maybe the escalator was better than like stairs but i think the bar the bar is on a second level of like a plaza okay i can't really describe like what this like complex of businesses is like but (laughs) that's what it's like i assumed it's like in sort of well when you said arena area i was thinking oh is this like part of a like sports complex or something like that is kind of what i was envisioning but i can picture it i can picture what this type of place probably looks like um, if you saw it on camera, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. You're like, oh, I've, I've seen places like this in college. Yeah. It's just like a big complex of businesses. Because yes. it's like really like right outside of like the school district. So when he's seen coming up the escalator with the two women, does it mm-hmm. seem nefarious or does it seem like innocent? Like his interactions with them? So I've reviewed the footage myself and this is my own opinion. I think for one, he looks more sober than I would anticipate him being. Mm. He looks pretty stable. Two, it almost looks like he's pursuing them. It does not look like they're necessarily interested in, like, talking to him. He's kind of just making conversation as he's coming up the escalator. And you can see from, like, I mean, this is all subjective and it's body language, but, like, he kind of spreads his arms out. Yeah. With, like, one on each side of the escalator, which to me seems like a domination move. where totally. Like, conversationally, where he's like, talk to me. I want to talk to you. It's just not clear, like, he says his goodbyes to them. Like, he doesn't pursue it any further. Because he gets up the escalator, and I don't even know where they go after that, but they're eventually completely ruled out of this because they do identify those girls, and they're like, did you know him? And they're like, no, we didn't. But he just went back into that bar, and that was kind of the end of the story, on camera at least. Now, I'm like acting as if you're like the coroner. Um, Although, of course, they never found (laughs) his body. They never found him. But like, did he have a history of like doing drugs or anything? Like hallucinogens? No. Okay. No, nothing like this. Yeah, he was was, like a pretty like stand-up person. I think like, I mean, obviously like everybody blows off steam. Everybody goes out and like drinking binges after school. But no, he did. And there was no evidence of any of that when they like searched his apartment. Okay. It's eerie, right? It seems physically impossible. Goes into a bar, guy never comes out. Yeah. Well, and also the thought that he would have, like, let's say he did exit into, like, that construction site. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he most likely, had he been as drunk as he probably was, he would have hurt himself. Like, he probably wouldn't have had the... Well, that was the thought, yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, it was like a maze going through that construction site with all the pipes and, like, everything that was, like, laid out because it was closed off. So, like, for a drunk person to navigate that, it's... you would t- It would take a lot of skill for you to, like, navigate through that. But there's something here that I want to mention that is even stranger. So... Let's see. Now, the police end up, because they can't see him on camera anywhere, Mm -hmm. they're like, this guy went into a bar, and we don't know where he, how he got out, but, like, I mean, theoretically, yes, he had to get out somehow, because he's not in the bar. Like, we didn't find him. They end up tapping all of the neighboring businesses and bars to get their security footage to see, like, okay, if Brian left some way, somehow, after he went back into the bar at 155, they never see him come out. Let's get a 360 view from all of these different businesses in the area to see, like, okay, he was probably walking on the street at this point. There's no trace of him. In the following hours, he is never seen in any direction of any security footage they could obtain, leaving the bar, roaming the area, or even walking on any of the nearby streets of Columbus on the pathway to his apartment that night. It was like he walked into the bar stew and literally evaporated into thin air. How do police explain that to a family? What in the world? Isn't that so weird? So I'm I'm dying to hear the theories because I know that there's got to be some bonkers theories <laughs> around this. Holy, you can't even imagine. I mean, so I had to keep it to a min- like a minimum actually because yeah. some of them get like wild when we're talking about like what about interdimensional. I was gonna like, say somebody Alice. thinks he's a damn ghost and like walk through walls. Oh, yeah, like backrooms theories, things like that. So I tried to keep it to, like, let's look at the logical. But honestly, even from a logical perspective, you're like, this doesn't make physical sense. Yeah, I mean... It doesn't make sense. The only thing that I can really think of, even, is, like, maybe he got into an altercation with someone that worked there, and they ended up doing something with him. I don't know. That's a perfect tee-off. Because that's what police thought, too. They were like, okay, well, let's jump to the obvious conclusion here. If there's no footage of him leaving the bar... He's still in there. So they turn their attention back to the ugly tuna saluna and they bring search canines in to scour that bar. Every single inch is inspected. The walls, the vents are considered possibilities. Mm-hmm. Police, um, they search all the trash, all the dumpsters. They even obtain a permit from the city to search the sewer systems of the area and under the bar. Again, eerily, nothing is ever found. Those dogs pick up nothing. And this search didn't stop at the bar either. They continued, like, to neighboring businesses. They went to his apartment, which was six blocks away. Um, Nothing seemed out of place. Like, his door is found locked. His car is still there. There's nothing missing. There's no note. No evidence of drugs. So the question is, where did Brian go? And how was any of this possible? Now, that search, it continues several different miles in every single direction that Brian could have left the bar that night. They question patrons. They question employees, locals, they bring his photos, the news grabs hold of the story. There is no trace or evidence of how he disappeared, and specifically no evidence that he disappeared voluntarily. So the suspicion of his disappearance then turns from like him doing it to maybe it was orchestrated by somebody else inside that bar. The question is who and why. Is that something you were going towards, too? Yeah, I was thinking, like, did he get in a fight with, like, one of the bartenders or something? Or, like, and it went too far? Like, like literally, I'm, I am mm-hmm. I was starting to envision, like, somebody trying to kick him out, and then 
yeah he got yeah. into some sort of fight it somebody decked him and like it was too much and the guy like died or something and they tried to get rid of him i don't know that's where i was going no the somebody kicking him out theory actually makes a lot of sense especially timing wise because if he's going in in the last five minutes of like last call yeah it's yeah. like sorry man like we're closing up kind of thing and then he's like one more drink or like whatever he's saying if he's drunk yeah and then they're like no you're done like we're cutting you off get out we're closing yeah and then things just go too far maybe i i, I have some theories on that which I will bring up allegedly. <laughs> they are all. <laughs> we love a good now, allegedly. We love a good allegedly. Print that on merch. Mm -hmm. Now, let's see. Police turned their attention to everyone that he saw that night because they're like, if we don't have any evidence that he walked out of the bar of his own doing, we're going to suspect foul play. So many are questioned. Several take lie detector tests, including his father, which he passes, and Meredith passes as well, the friend of Clint. Clint refuses to take a lie detector test, and it's unclear why, and he has maintained that stance to this day. Now, let's talk about that, because that's not an, an admission of guilt, per se. I think it's the more likely scenario that he lawyered up as soon as Brian went missing, and the attorney was like, do not take a polygraph. Let me handle everything. Mm -hmm. Don't answer any questions. Um, it's just odd that, like, even to this day, like, 10-plus years later he still won't comply with taking a polygraph test um, when almost everyone else did. Yeah, well, I imagine his attorney was like, listen, you were probably heavily intoxicated. You're going to potentially um, contaminate, not contaminate, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, you're going to mess up yeah. the results because you aren't going to remember exactly what happened. And if you guess, you could potentially incriminate mm -hmm. yourself is what I would think. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's like, don't give them any fodder for, like, contextual or, like, mm -hmm. circumstantial evidence by, like, giving a statement or something on paper. So, and although his involvement, I will say, is very unlikely because, as was Meredith's, I mean, because for the duration of the night where Brian wandered off, they were together, like, looking for him, and phone records prove that, as did camera footage. So it's just still odd on paper, I think, that he's like, I'm not going to take a polygraph. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Um, so then they turn their attention to these two mysterious women, right? Because they're like, okay, something's fishy with those girls who saw him in, like, the last five minutes of, of him being seen. And they talk to them. And both of those women, they're identified, like I said, and they're ruled out of the investigation. So much so to the point where there's, like, nothing to string it together. They don't even ask them to take a polygraph test. They were just like, he was talking to us on, on the way up the escalator. There's nothing to tie them to it. So... But they would mark the last people who saw him before he vanished, which just seemed odd, you know. And they mentioned, like, what his demeanor was like. And they said he seemed drunk, but he seemed normal. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't seem skittish or, like, nervous or scared. Like, he was about to do something or, like, something was about to happen to yeah. him that he knew of. Now, you can imagine how senseless and, like, devastating this was for the family, for the girlfriend, too, without answers. So I want to talk about this thing that happened with the girlfriend. She's distraught over this, as you can imagine, the girlfriend, Alexis. And what she was doing was she was actually calling after he disappeared his phone every single night, which was never on. It was always off since the moment he disappeared. And it just goes straight to voicemail. So she does this for like months. The phone is always off, but she still tries, right? It's very like Mara Murray. Yeah. And until one night, something happens that's very chilling for her. She calls that phone, Stu. And per usual, she expects it to go straight to voicemail. It does not. 
It rings for approximately three rings and then goes to voicemail, like it was sent to voicemail. And she described this, like hearing those rings, as the best sound she has ever heard. Just like the hope that it gave her, like this like unrivaled optimism that he's out there. You know, like maybe he maybe maybe he disappeared, maybe he left on his own accord, but like he's he's there, mm -hmm. you know? He's somewhere. It just gave her like immense hope. Now, Singular Wireless, they get contacted about this and they put out a statement to like check the validity. They say in their statement, and this is probably to avoid getting caught up in the story or any kind of legal drama, they're like, the rings could have been a glitch, like a cell tower glitch maybe. So it's possible the phone was just turned off and like it rang anyway. However, this is countered by a ping which was detected from a phone that was connected to the cell tower that <gasps> they tapped, police. And they placed that call like when she called that phone and it like pinged and it rang 14 miles away from columbus ohio in a town called hilliard what <laughs> so there's never any follow-up on this on whether it like connected any dots in the investigation they like couldn't trace it beyond that they're like i mean this this like cell tower ping suggests that like the phone pinged a few towns over but we have no way like that's just a ping for a town like we can't search an entire town so it never goes anywhere. They're just like, that's odd. <laughs> I would I would go question every single employee in that business center and see if anybody was from Hilliard. Well, they did. I mean, that was something they could do. I mean, at the time, like, all of Ohio knew about Brian's case. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. Like, so at the time, the case became very, very well known because it was getting news coverage. It even so was able to solicit, like, celebrity recognition at the time who was trying to, like, spread word of the search. And there were all these tips that came in, there were people who were calling in from Michigan, from Texas, even like Sweden, <laughs> who were like, we've seen Brian. And they were investigated. All of those were investigated. They led nowhere. The wow. Brian Schaefer case was just, it was just perplexing. It didn't make any sense. He just vanished into thin air. And to talk about like how his family family was dealing with this, his father and his brother, they're still coping with the recent passing three weeks prior of Renee Schaefer. Um, but they had become insistent on finding Brian because if the law couldn't crack it, you turn to mediums. So they turned to a medium, a famous one, to try to understand where Brian went. Now, one of the mediums that they interacted with reportedly made claims that they felt Brian was dead and that his body was in a river, like an embankment um, of water nearby. So this sends them on a wild goose chase because they're desperate to find him. So... They would spend a lot of their time that year, like, wading through waters of the Olentangy, I think it's called, the Olentangy River, searching for a body that would never appear. And it was very unlikely that he would have drowned in this body of water, because it was quite shallow, even if he was drunk. Um, it would have more likely been the scenario that he was killed and the body was dumped there, if this was true. Despite all of these efforts, the case goes very cold, and most of the leads had been exhausted or completely ruled out. So whatever happened to him is just kind of this haunt, like this haunting mystery that had plagued Columbus, Ohio and his medical class, because this was a very sinister thing to happen to a student, like mm -hmm. a promising student. And eventually this is going to break your heart. So I'll prepare you now. And okay. any of the creepers who are listening. So Randy, the father, he does suffer a fatal accident by September, 2008, while he's outside of his home cleaning debris where a windstorm, this is a freak accident, sweeps in and a tree branch breaks off, fatally strikes him and his body is found by neighbors the following morning. So at this point, Brian Shaver's mother has died. The father has died. Brian is missing. And it's really just the little brother, Derek, who's left. 
um, when something odd happens on the obituary page for the father. So there's a condolences book that had a sign-in that read, To Dad, Love Brian. Suggesting that he was still out there somewhere, alive, and had maybe started a new life or something. He disappeared on his own. This was taken very seriously by police, and they trace it, and it leads to a person in Franklin County, Ohio, and is found to be, like, a really f***ing sick hoax. Yeah, like I was going to really, say, that is so awful. A really horrible hoax, unlike the one remaining family member. So, in the aftermath of Randy's death, the story kind of caught new media attention, um, and they bring it back up to the forefront, and again, suspicion turns back to Clint, the friend who refused to take the lie detector test. And this is when we get some information that I wanted to like briefly mention before we get into theories um, that comes from Clint's attorney. So Clint's attorney publicly comes out and defends his client and he goes, listen, he's cooperated since day one. He doesn't know anything about what happened to Brian. And then he spills some information that was not previously disclosed to the family or the public as far as we know. So the information suggests that the police department believes that in their investigation, Brian is alive, and he disappeared on his own. Never like publicly corroborated by the PD um, or any public evidence that we know of, but it suggests that Brian escaped the life that he knew, and enough time and kind of like family anguish had passed that he couldn't come back, like he couldn't return mm -hmm. after what he had done. To me, it sounds like an unsubstantiated story, maybe like pushed by an attorney who's like, I don't know, desperately defending their client who remains suspect number one mm -hmm. in this case. But Brian's family, they've always suspected that Clint knew more. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, sparking for me like Julia Davis a little bit, like the one person mm -hmm. that was left with the person that ended up, you know, dying or going missing is not cooperating. It just like points to them probably <laughs> i hope sorry the... <laughs> i know <laughs> no i just hope that the glug 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 in the background can be heard <laughs> <laughs> as you're I thinking like a very sound you. conspiracy i have a bottle upside down in this wine glass i'm like i you hear you babes you literally have like one of those margaritas <laughs> that's like got a corona in it but it's just your glass <laughs> and the wine bottle stuck in it <laughs> Um, Creepers, you don't know what kind of week we've had. We've Please. Had a damn give, give, week. <laughs> give us this one. I know. <laughs> Just one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's, it's always um, just, I've always tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody, if that were me and I was the last mm -hmm. person that had seen this person that goes missing. I know that lawyers like tell you to keep your mouth shut and whatever, but like, I just mm -hmm. would. If I really cared about the person, I was close to them, and I knew I was innocent, there's nothing for me to hide. I mean, I think the more transparent you are and the more honest you are at the jump, the more kind of, like, street cred you get with police and with the family of the person that's gone missing or is, you know, deceased. Totally. Like, I think it's just the, the elapsing time of where you're just remaining silent, remaining silent all you do is allow people to like build suspicion around you. Um, but oh, I, also, I mean, he, there was yeah. no way it wouldn't happen for him just cause he was the last person. Yeah. I mean, he's good. Whether he like came forward and did what you're saying where he's like talking to cameras or like talking to people and saying like, 
I'm so sorry. Like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to prove that, like, I don't know what happened to him. I want to find him. Or he does what the attorney says, and he's just like, keep your mouth shut. I'll handle everything. There's no way to evade it. Yeah. People are going to suspect you. Yeah. Because it's mysterious. Yeah. Super. Like, and this is just, like, such a, like, different type of case. Like, I honestly. It's not usual. It's very unusual. I kind of, like, shame the attorney that he hired because, like, this is just not a typical you know, disappearance. Like, it's very obvious that Clint was the last person that saw him and the guy never left the scene of the crime. Like, I just, I don't know. It just seems like a bad position to put your client in and make them be completely silent. I agree with you. I think it's also odd that, like, most of the heat comes on Clint when Clint technically wasn't the last person to see him alive. Mm -hmm. It was the two girls on the escalator. I think there's more just, like, there's, like, context there because they're, like, well, Clint knew him, so Clint probably knew, like, his state of mind or, like, his plan or whatever it was that they're suspecting. They, like, tie Clint to it inherently. But it's also, like, him avoiding the polygraph test is probably not helping his case because yeah. that does seem suspicious on paper, but who knows? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I, would, give, I would give some color to this. So Derek, the brother, uh, he has gone on to say that this is a direct quote. He goes, I have always thought um, he definitely knows something, just won't come forward with it, talking about Clint. And he believes that it's still possible that his brother Brian could be alive and that Clint Florence knows something or knows where he might have gone. And he said in another quote, if Brian did take off somewhere, if that is the case, we just always had this strong feeling that Clint probably knows that, like as his very good friend. And while Alexis, the girlfriend, agreed that Clint probably knows more than what he's told police, she ultimately does concede. She's like, at this point, I, th- I think Brian is probably dead. Yeah. Like, the questions, I mean, it, it remains a question, like, how he actually was able to exit the bar without being caught on camera. Um, it's just a question of whether or not that was of his own doing, and then maybe suicide was a part of that story mm. or foul play. Mm. But ultimately, Alexis, she's gone on. She has a family, as does Derek. Like, they, they've moved on. It's been well over a decade. But they still, like, wonder and have their suspicions about what happened to Brian on that night. And really, like, despite all of the evidence on this case, it fills up, reportedly, Stu, more than four boxes worth of files, paper files, in the Columbus Police Department. And it continues to accrue tips to this day. Wow. On average, two per month of people who call in regarding the Schaefer case. And there has never been anything concrete that has led to a new avenue or a new approach that could have explained what happened to Brian Schaefer that night and how it was physically possible for him to enter a bar and never be seen again. That is the end of what we know of the story before we jump into theories, but... Does that not seem like one of the eerier cases we've covered? Like, I'm having a tough time. I have a tough time. Even in the research, I had a tough time. I'm like, something's got to be off. Something was missed. It makes me so, (laughs) yeah, something's got to be off or missed. It makes me really um, just depressed for his family because, like, in most instances like that, you get at least the closure uh, or, like, partial closure of seeing your, you know, son or daughter on camera walking away and you're like okay they went somewhere and something happened and I know that but it's like you get this false sense of like hope or whatever because you didn't ever see it actually go down so like right no you're right because it like sits in like this weird space of the unknown yeah where you're like 
I mean, maybe something like you, there's probably a million things. I can't imagine what his family went through. Yeah. But there's probably a million things that run through your mind. Like maybe he did get out of the bar and they just missed it on yeah. camera. Yes. Like maybe yeah. he's, he wanted to disappear. He was having a hard time and he's fine somewhere. You could even possibly believe that he's still out there alive. And I'm sure that was like backed up heavily when the girlfriend Alexis made that phone call and it yeah. was tracked somewhere. Yeah. Like that, that would have like reinvigorated a complete new sense of hope at this case for me. Totally. Where I'm like, oh, he, he got out. Or you could look at it the other way where it's like something happened to him in that bar and somebody took his phone and they live like a couple of towns over. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're like, even as, as we've been talking about it, like as an investigator, I would be just looking at every single person that left that bar. Like, was anybody in a hood? Mm. Was anybody like covered? Like, it's just so. Can I just tell you something? You are such a sleuth. You're already inside <laughs> half of these theories. Really? <laughs> yes. Honey. From the from the jump, baby. From the jump. God bless all my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> Y'all train I just... me well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call it one other thing because I just slipped into Southern because Sarah was listening to the podcast and I was asking her, I was like, that's so nice. I'm like, you, I was like, you listen to a lot of episodes. You know a lot about it. And she was like, yeah, she was like, what I really like about it, she was like, about every, like, ten minutes, you guys both slip into, like, a southern dialect <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> and she was dead serious. She wasn't, like, poking fun. Yeah. She was like, yeah, that's really fun. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess it is. I, I just, I think I throw mine on you, and the thing that doesn't help is if we drink a little bit, and then I'm, like, fully, I am, <laughs> like, I go straight into, like, because the thing is, southern people are inherently sleuths <laughs> they are they are guilty until proven innocent. they're distrusting <laughs> yes. they don't they don't trust anything no you said something and i think it was in the tika adams episode that was killing me when i listened back to it because like you didn't intend for it but you slipped into like a southern accent and you go i was like there was like a big like throw blanket on the couch you go like a towel <laughs> <laughs> like a towel i was like yeah like a towel <laughs> I was listening to it I when breathe. I was editing and I was like. <laughs> oh, my Lord. It is funny because I'll hear you just, I think, like, by osmosis, you'll pick up my accent sometimes. And I there do, was I one do. time where you said something with a long O and you were like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. In my head, I was That like, happens frequently. Yeah. That happens frequently. Oh, my God. Whatever. I'm proud of it. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I can't stop it. Creepers, I can't help it. All right, let me dive into some theories okay. so I can run you through what people are talking about. Because as I said, I had to boil this down. I've got like four key theories okay. here. One of them that's like rough. Now, theory one, Brian's death was accidental and the bar knew it. This is really interesting to me because I felt like when I first read it, it had a lot of legs. So <laughs> before I jump into this theory, let us preface, it is just a theory this is all alleged. <laughs> so I, I just want to say that before I jump into it. Now, many have claimed that while drunk, Brian did take that service exit that we were talking about to avoid the escalators, the crowds outside, whatever it was. And he ended up in the construction site. While possibly very drunk, he accidentally could have hurt himself, mm -hmm. fell through an open hole, or he died. Now, this theory suggests that to avoid the bar seeing any sort of persecution or liability 
and having an unlocked exit, which I read in my research, allegedly that exit was unlocked mm. a lot of the time, to a dangerous construction zone that killed somebody. They found the body and removed that body covertly. Now, I can, I'll say it again, I cannot stress enough. This is just a theory. It is not intended for any legit speculation or to harm anyone or their business. This is alleged. Now, allegedly, this is how the theory presents. John Votino is the owner of the restaurant group and this bar specifically, the Ugly Tuna Saluna, which, if my research is correct, at the time, I believe both of his sons worked there and their positions were unclear, right? It's not entirely certain if they were like bartenders, servers, whatever they were, but I think it's probably assumed from my own knowledge of how like familial restaurant businesses work, they probably held managerial positions at the bar, Mm -hmm. right? Or at least like supervisor positions. They both happened to be students at OSU that year as well, same as Brian. In short, they were likely working at that bar and possibly even closing up the bar that night as they had both been off on spring break too, because if they were at the same school, their spring breaks coincided. So this theory alleges that the Votino's son or sons, I guess in this case, found Brian and called their dad and allegedly to escape liability or fear of losing everything, because in this case, they would be liable if they left a service door unlocked and a patron died in a construction zone outside of their restaurant, they'd be liable. They arranged to dispose of the body themselves and would have had several days to do it without anyone seeing or even noticing that Brian was gone because the construction site, this was a Friday night he disappeared. They did not resume work until Monday morning. And Brian was not even reported missing until Monday morning when he missed his flight. So it seemed logical to assume that if he somehow was able to evade being on camera, because I should mention one of the cameras that I guess covers this exit specifically is a panning camera. So the stars would have had to align, but I suppose it's possible that while the camera like was pivoted in the other direction to the left or something or to the right for a split second, he went out that exit. He died on site, just out of view of the camera. They packed his body into something to carry it out, like a trash bag or something, and they devised their plan to discard of him so that no one would ever know or find Brian again. The theory to me, well, maybe I should ask you first. How do you feel? How does that sit with you? Well, that's my very first like gut instinct was something happened at the bar and the bar had to take care of it. But I... Mm. I think I'm just stupefied by, like, the, like, (laughs) that's a good one, stupefied by the, It's going straight on merch, right on a tote, right on a tote. (laughs) By the idiocy of that decision, but also if it actually happened, the luck in which they had that it never actually the body was never found canines didn't pick it up not caught on camera i'm like like, the stars truly were aligned for you for that to be pulled off Um, i know what you mean like that would just be but, but because but what does why i do think it does have legs is because when i was thinking about it earlier i was like well if i'm joe schmo and i work at the ugly tuna saluna i am not about to go and take a body and dispose of it, that's on the restaurant owner. But if the restaurant yeah. owner's two sons are the supervisors, then it has legs for me. And then I'm like, okay, like I could see it being a thing. Oh, I mean, this is my own bias from being an Italian, but maybe I've just watched too many episodes <laughs> of The Sopranos, but yeah. I was like, John Votino, uh-huh. the Votinos I family. I thought the same thing. 
I was like, I don't know. I'm like, they've got connections, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. Allegedly. Alleged. <laughs> Alleged. You don't even know. I'm about to see my day in court. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, well, let me run through, like, some of the debunking things on this, because I think it's fair. If I'm going to throw out a theory like that, allegedly, then I should probably give you some of the caveats to it where it's like, mm, but wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Now... This theory, I think, seems unlikely because of how extensive that police search was of the restaurant and bar and even that construction site. I think if Brian would have traveled that way, like, even while slightly out of view, let's just say he was, like, out of view of the camera somehow, some way, like, that was magic. Now, if he was injured and then discarded, I think the dogs would have picked up on that, right? Totally. There would have been some sliver of evidence of his injury outside of that door on the construction site. Totally. That's where I was thinking. I was like, dogs would have smelled him. Well, okay, so then I had another person on Reddit that I was reading about, the only credible source to get your right. theories, <laughs> where someone was saying, well, what if nobody even knew? They're like, because it's pretty boisterous to think that, like, these two sons, the Votinos, could have been, like, well-equipped and, like, secure enough to be like, we got to get rid of a body. Let's just do that, like, hands clean. Um they're like, maybe he went to the construction site out of view of the camera, fell through a hole, mm-hmm. and nobody even knew it. And then come Monday, the construction resumed, and no one even saw him down there, and they just laid cement for the foundation of oh, the next business. Oh, my God. My and the body, was co- the body was completely buried to the point where dogs couldn't even, like, like we can't sniff <laughs> through, like, layers of concrete, you know? I wonder if it rained. Oh, that's interesting, too. Things I wish I looked up in my research. Oh, my God. The weather patterns (laughs) of 2006. Yeah. March 31st. Oh, my gosh. Well, Mm. this could explain, I think, how by the time police come to investigate on Monday or wherever after it was that following week, like, substantial evidence could have been buried beneath foundation that was laid. Um, Or it's entirely possible, like I said, like, the staff never even knew he was there. So maybe, like, when they were questioned, it seemed very obvious that they were innocent because they're like, we don't know where he went. Like, if he's not on our cameras, like, he was just a patron. Yeah. And this poor guy is buried under, like, layers and layers of concrete that dogs can't even trace. And that's the end of the story. Oh, my God. That's one theory. Oh, my God. I just hope to God he was, like, actually dead if that's what happened. Oh, my God. I, I don't even want to think about that. I didn't even go down that road. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not you. That just added a whole new element of dark to this, which I've I've worked hard to keep light thus far. Well, sorry. No, it's not you. It's not you. It's fine. It's because the champagne's now, hitting me now. Okay. Baby, there's this bottle of wine on the floor. It's finished. Let me just say that. <laughs> Now, I, well, I did even more deep diving on this because I was like, listen, I need to like fully know what the layout of this bar was. So I did a deep dive on the exits of the bar, which I think you'd find interesting. Now, I've worked in restaurants. Most restaurants have like a back exit, which I would consider like the service exit. That's where you get like shipments and stuff. That's where like servers come in through. Like they always say like, you cannot come in through the front exit, like that's, or the front entrance rather. That's very like, not okay. Yeah. Um, this was not that type of a bar, just from the way the the business was laid out. So I even was able to, this is going to sound crazy, but I was able to trace down a former employee (gasps) of the bar from this time. Oh my God. (laughs) And she was able to corroborate for me. She said that it was not set up like that. There was no back exit. She was like, there's the front entrance, which most people used, even the staff to like come in and out. 
That's what the DJ used to come up the elevator, come in through the front entrance. It was just easiest. The service exit was right by the front entrance. And same with um, the emergency exit for like this plaza or like building the complex they were in. So, and it was all within view of the camera, if that's true. So it's like, how the hell could he have possibly gotten out? How? The, I truly, like, the stars would have had to have aligned. And the camera's like, let me just pan this way for a second. Yeah. And I found another thing. I mean, I'll get into this in, like, another part. But, like, at the time, on camera, there were two, like, cops slash security guards for the plaza who happened to be at the top of that escalator in the area. Let's say Brian came out. They're, like, in view of the camera. Like, when the bar closes up, it's, like, 2 a.m. And he's, like, trying to go through the service exit to the construction site. I think those, like, security officers would have stopped him and said, like, hey, hey, buddy, that's, like, a do not enter sign. Like, you can't go through there. Go down the escalator like everybody else. It seemed highly unlikely that, like, they would just be continuing their conversation and see this drunk man who's 6'2 plow through this exit and not say a word. You know what else I... And it's off camera. Yeah. You know what else just struck me? He had just come back up from the exit. He knew exactly where the exit was. He just got back from it. It it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Rig. <laughs> I know. So that's really where the end of that theory kind of sits with like the idea that like he came back into the bar and like something went down because it's the only plausible thing where like okay, goes back into the bar, something goes down, gets into a fight or like dies by like a fatal punch like you were saying. And then they're just like we got to get rid of the body. I just find it crazy to think about that. And I'll, I'll get off this theory in a second because I know I've gone on a long time about it, but it's crazy to me to think that like, they could have like fatally killed the guy and they're just like, let's just stuff him in a part of the restaurant and deal with it tomorrow because yeah. they lock up like 10, 15 minutes after they lock up. They're like leaving. No, that didn't happen. I don't that think did that not happened. happen. So like if, but if it didn't happen, how do we explain this? Like, he walks into a bar and never comes out? Did he stay there all night? I feel like he would have just had to have slipped past cameras, like, right at the correct angle. Well, okay, maybe this is a good tee-up to go into the next theory, because this next theory suggests that Brian's disappearance was of his own doing. Okay. So, many have turned to the cell phone ping at Hilliard, 14 miles away from the town where he disappeared, And they're like, that's sure proof that, like, I mean, if it wasn't foul play, that, like, he was alive and, like, he's just a few towns over while he's, like, plotting his new life. And although the ping gave, like, the location that seems pretty concrete, it didn't give much after that. So how do we piece this story together? One investigator who, like, mulled over this case, he researched and combed through that footage over and over and over again. He is suggesting the theory of the possibility of a planned escape within plain sight. Now, let me elaborate. We know that Brian is never identified leaving the bar, but this investigator is suggesting Brian went back into the bar, changed his clothes, including the addition of a hat and Mm -hmm. possibly a new shirt, Mm -hmm. and then to blend in with the crowds who were like leaving during the last five minutes, leaves the bar while being in plain sight of cameras and just goes down the escalator dressed as a different person to orchestrate his own disappearance, knowing full well he would be on camera and knowing full well he intended to start a new life and never go back. Now, let's just talk about, like, color this a little bit more and talk about why he might have done this. Like I said, context-wise, timing, I realize how recent this was for, like, the passing of his mother. She died three weeks prior. That immense loss on top of 
this very stressful part of his life. He's going through the throes of his second year at medical school. He's clearly expected to go on this like trip and propose to his girlfriend in the next couple of days. I would imagine this could have been an inciting incident, maybe, if he was dealing with all of this internally. As his friend said that he was struggling quite a bit, that he was like, I want to I want to get away from all of it. I want to disappear. I would also mention that although Brian was on track to become a doctor, I did read in my research that that was not his dream. He dreamed of being a musician, was actually a pretty, um, a pretty accomplished guitarist, and had actually put out covers of songs. He was a huge fan of Pearl Jam, and he had this huge dream of like becoming a musician, but I kind of debunked that because it's like, okay, well, leave your life in med school to disappear into obscurity to then like build on a dream of like becoming notarized or like becoming like famous for being a musician. It doesn't really like make sense to me. You know, it's weird. I kind of go with this theory. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think just the sheer level of like stress that he must've been under. And then most of the time, I don't think I, I mean, I know people that are in med school get just as effed up as the rest of us, but like, Oh, it's bad. Most... It's bad in med school. <laughs> I have some friends in med school and they're, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong then, but I was thinking to myself to go out when you have a girlfriend and you go out and you bar hop and you are getting just like obliterated. You're seen with two other girls at the end of the night. Like, he was mm, looking for that's an a good escapism point. kind of thing. Like, I can see that being reality for him that he wants out. Like, I can see that. That's a really good point that I had not thought of. Yeah. The pers- the pursuit of the two girls. I mean, maybe, I mean, it could have been, we can give it the benefit of the doubt and say, like, maybe it was platonic and, like, friendly. But I don't know. I mean, that seemed, I kind of agree with what you're saying. And, that maybe he was on the brink of something. And what I think is interesting Maybe he left that right before the bar closed, like he went outside and whatever, to make mm-hmm. sure wherever the hell he was going to go, he knew where he was going or had a plan to get out. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, especially if, like, we're conceding to this theory that he was conscious of cameras, maybe that didn't stop, like, start and stop at the bar with the change of clothes. Maybe it was about, like, after his exit, too, because if, you know, don't forget, he was never caught on any other camera in yeah. this, like, 360 approach. So they couldn't really piece together. They're like, well, if he tried to disappear, we don't know where the hell he went. Like, how one, how he got out of the bar or, like, where he went after because he is never seen again. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to toss a few things over to you because I was siding with you on this. I was like, yeah, I was like, if we can't, like, piece this together and, like, we're not suspecting foul play within the bar, which I don't. I was like, he probably, like, had a plan here to get out and get out while under the the view of the camera. But there are a few things here that really shift this story for me. So for one, if we're talking about Brian being on the brink of something like a breakdown or trying to escape his life, it's not really supported by any of the evidence on paper. So for one, his performance in school was really exceptional at this time. There were no signs that he was like doing poorly or that he was withdrawn from his education. Um, And he had also been telling people of his plans to propose, which suggested he had no plans of backing out i'm assuming unless it was a front and there's also no evidence that's found to suggest like he had a plan for an escape in his apartment because don't forget everything is found he took nothing like literally nothing 
how I mean, like clothes are there. Like, and the other thing about the clothes, let's talk about clothes. This theory about him changing clothes within the bar. At no point on camera or in the presence of Clint or Meredith is he ever seen with a change of clothes or a bag or mm-hmm. something that could have held that unless it was previously planted in the bar. You know, like behind like a, a sink or like in a bathroom somewhere. It's just, there's, there's a few things here that I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. We don't really have a ton to like go off here. And I will also say that the footage has been reviewed hundreds if not thousands of times by investigators and his family and even in a new outfit i think they would have been able to spot him based on his stature and his height like just like his his physicality but i also read that allegedly there's an investigator who looked at this footage and actually did a count they accounted for every single person that night who entered the bar after a certain time like just before like brian clint and meredith showed up and they counted all of them, and then they watched the footage to the very end to count every single person leaving, and they tallied every single one except for one person, and that was Brian Schaefer. What in the world? So, like, numbers-wise, that, like, totally, deep, like, threw the theory out where I was like, well, I mean, we can't, like, I, I can't say that he, like, changed his clothes and left because, like, we're clearly one person short according yeah. to this person. Yeah. So he had to still be in the bar. I know that just deflated you so bad. You were like, Fuck. No, as we started talking about it, I was like, well, because I, I just always go back to like, okay, what is the most logical thing here? And to me, right. someone that's doing well in school, that has a girlfriend, that yes, they've mm-hmm. gone through this tragedy, but they're a bright person. Like, it just, I, I mean, I, it just doesn't make sense as to why they'd want to escape and i'm kind of primarily basing that off of the fact that he was excelling so much at school yeah he seemed committed to his education but also like even if this was of his own doing to orchestrate this plan don't you also think that if he was as drunk as he was he would be sloppier and pulling this off yeah i couldn't execute something like this after like five shots i couldn't do that (laughs) like evade cameras are you kidding yeah, I mean, so really, we kind of have to assume he made he went out one of those other exits. Or or that something happened at that bar, like you were saying before, and mm-hmm. it is the case where, like, maybe that thing did happen, allegedly, mm-hmm. with the Votinos, and they did just, like, patch it up quick. They, like, called their dad, and their dad was like, leave the bar, I'll take care of it kind of thing. Because they, they're a restaurant group. They own quite a few businesses. So they probably would have had a lot to lose liability-wise if there was a fight or if he did fall through a hole or, like, got hurt in the construction site. I'd love to hear the names of his other businesses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the well, the Ugly Tuna Saluna closed, and then they opened up the Ugly Tuna Saluna 2. No! <laughs> the Ugly Tuna Saluna the you sequel. You are effing with me. I'm not. Are you serious? <laughs> Yes, I'm dead serious. They did. Because <laughs> I was looking it up just because I was trying to like map out like proximity-wise because I'm trying to like recreate his night in maps and I was like, the ugly tuna saluna too. The too. audacity <laughs> of them to a bar where somebody went missing and they created another one. Like, <laughs> these people ain't right. And these people well, are okay. not right. 
maybe I should wrap us up with like, I guess I, I thought I had four theories. I guess I really only have like three. And this third one isn't even really a theory, but it is kind of the assumption that Clint knows something, right? Um, and I'll wrap this up really quickly because I think I think that it's kind of dispelled that Clint knows anything at this point because like <laughs> 10 years has passed. Now, he has maintained his innocence to this day. And I'll preface that it is just a theory. Again, this is alleged as well. Now, of course, he has remained the chief suspect here because he was technically one of the last people to see Brian that night and he knew him very well. He has refused to take the polygraph test in helping to find his friend, and he has refused to answer any questions regarding Brian's disappearance following his initial suspicion. In his own words, any and all questions are to be forwarded to his attorney, who, like I mentioned, believes that the case is effectively closed and that he has intel that the police believe Brian is alive and disappeared somewhere on his own. I say... I say that Clint's involvement is flimsy only because I give credit to the investigators that they did their due diligence here in this case and that they had exhausted every resource to look at Clint as a potential suspect and nothing just seemed to match up in terms of like plotting evidence they collected on him search warrants camera evidence um and I also researched this because I was curious. I was like, well, okay, if I give this a little bit of weight of what the inter the attorney is suggesting he says he has intel on, which is that he knows police know that Brian disappeared on his own. I was like, is that illegal? Like to not inform a family if someone disappears yeah. and then police find them? So I did research on this. So let me, let me pull up the exact quote that I was reading. Now from the resources I found and confirmed... If a person chooses to disappear, it is not considered illegal in almost any state in the U.S. Um, if you just completely disappear from your, your life. Um, but more than likely, what would have happened is the agency would have had to close the investigation and inform the family or the people who were pursuing the investigation because they did not close the investigation. The investigation stayed open and continued to amass resources and money and time from these investigators. So I think... I would dispel what the attorney says because if it was the case that they had proof that Brian disappeared and they were like, what happened? He was like, I just wanted to run away. It's not a crime. Bye. Mm -hmm. They would have closed the investigation and they would have had something to tell the family. They've yeah. never done that. Yeah. They've kept the cases still open. It's just cold. Yeah. So I don't think that's true that they ever like concluded that Brian was found. I think it's more so probably a deflection from this attorney to keep the heat off his client, who has been suspect number one since day one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if that is the case, then I guess the question is, what happened? I think the more plausible explanation here from deductive reasoning is that we have to conclude that whatever did happen to him, it never left that bar, I think. I think he went back in and something did, might have happened, like you said, where maybe he got into a fight, something fatal happened, something similar to that. And then maybe very few people or employees were left in that bar to witness it. So a cover-up seemed available. And maybe at some point he was taken out of the bar in a trash bag or a bin just like days before he was even reported missing. It's the most logical, right? Yeah. Well, God, I mean, it really just like that restaurant group really <laughs> would have to have a lot of balls to do that. Like... That is... I know. That's what I was saying. I was like, to think that like 
one, your family is capable of disposing of a body, but two, these like two sons who are college age, who probably had never seen a, a dead body like that, would have to like take care of a dead body. Yeah. And I should say also, like, I I mean, this is like subjective evidence, but someone was saying that like from the camera footage that was reviewed in the following days to weeks, like coming in and out of that bar, there was never anything that you could even say like, oh, there's a body in there, like a trash bag yeah. or like a very big dumpster. Any, there was nothing where you're like, you could hide a body in that. Yeah. Which would suggest that he was like, not to get dark, but like he was probably dismembered within that bar and then taken out in separate pieces. But if that was the case, I think those dogs would have like gone berserk. Definitely. See, that's where I, I get tripped up. The fact that they didn't pick up any sort of scent mm-hmm. is so freaking strange. Like, I just, I don't know. It, it seems like he got out of there somehow, and we just didn't ever see it, and something happened off away from this bar. I've always wondered, I'm like, because it was on the second floor, I haven't inspected the outside of the building, like on Google Maps or anything. I wondered if there was a fire escape, maybe? Mm-hmm. It seems unlikely, and it seems like investigators also would have exhausted totally. that option, but that's the only other thing I can think of. I'm like, he either had to get past the cameras for a split second in a very, like, like on the border of, like, the camera's view, or he went through a fire escape, or he was still in the bar. I don't know of any other way to explain it, but that's all we've got on this case. And like I said before, I also think it's unlikely if there was foul play involved and there was a cover-up from the bar... I think it's unlikely that they would have closed up shop 15 minutes later. Uh, same. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way that you just, you're just like, damn, we'll deal with it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> it doesn't happen. That is truly, this really, really is so baffling, though. Yeah, it's one of the most mysterious and eerie cases that I think has plagued Columbus, Ohio. Um, and specifically the school OSU for quite some time. Um, the Brian Schaefer case is very infamous in this area, but that is everything we know, Stu. I told you I was going to throw you a good one. You, I promised you. Oh my gosh. That was kind <laughs> of like an escape room sort of situation, like trying to decide like where he got out, but I'm, I'm so yeah. stumped. We really got through, we got into like the sleuthing part of that, I feel, more than we have on previous cases. Yeah, which you know is my face. Could you imagine, I know, could you imagine if this is like one of those cases we see a solve for or like a big break in after this? I, I hope. I hope, well, what I was thinking as you were saying like, and that's all we know about the case, I was like, I swear to God, if they decide <laughs> to take a jackhammer to the concrete next week oh and my they God. find oh my bones, God. I will lose my mind. Okay, now that is an that is a theory that actually has legs. Now that I'm thinking back on it, like that would make a lot of sense. It's pretty ballsy to think an entire family could like evade police interrogation yeah. when it comes to a missing person. Yeah. So unless they truly were like, we don't know anything, and the the guy happened to miss the cameras, maybe the cops for whatever reason didn't see him, falls through a hole in the construction site. Construction people don't see him. He's buried under concrete. And construction maybe... starts at like five a.m. when it's still dark outside. Like. Oh my god, you're barely yeah. you're barely aware of what you're even doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's you're just like zoned out. That's where I kind of think it went. I, I that would be what I would bet my money on. Creepers, let us know. I'll do a poll on this one. Let us know what you think if you think that's a plausible theory, but I to me right now after going through all of this evidence and like ruling out all of the speculation, I think that feels the most plausible. It's just crazy to think that like 
oh, it's so eerie to think that he could still be there. But the, oh, but the other thing that's so weird is that he had just come up from the exit. He knew where the exit was. Maybe he went back up there because he was trying to find his friends uh-huh. because he ditched yeah. them. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. It was like maybe he like was drunk and he was going up the exit, or maybe going up the the escalator was part of something of like just getting to talk to those girls. Yeah, it's true. He was like he just wanted to have a conversation. He was like, let me go back into the bar and like find my friends or like take a piss or something. And then he's like, oh, they're not here. They're like closing, closing. Camera happens to be panned the other way. Goes through that service exit, which was confirmed to be unlocked. Construction zone, falls in a hole, maybe dead upon impact or knocked out upon impact. I'm assuming dead upon impact if, like, several days pass before construction resumes. And then they just fill the hole with concrete. Seems the most plausible to me. You know, I was researching something recently, which is going to throw you on your ass when we do our Vegas trip, which we're going to do, by the way. I better have the... multiple asses because I've been thrown. <laughs> no, you know what I need to do? I need to grow an ass because mine is flat. <laughs> and the amount that you throw me on it, I am hitting the damn concrete hoard. <laughs> I need a BBL at this point. <laughs> I really, I have, I feel bad because I truly have put you through the rick. Because I have time to research these and like digest them. You receive them and you're like. <laughs> but you know I love it. I know. You, you handle it so well. And I feel like you're a much better sleuth than I am. Because you always come up immediately with like theories. And like you jump into the theories before we get to them. And it's so refreshing because I don't even think of these things until I read through them. And I'm like. Damn, yeah, that makes sense. But you're already, you're always there and you're like, well, what does the brother know or something? Like, you've always got something up your sleeve. <laughs> That's that, uh, you know, just that good old-fashioned distrust that courses <laughs> through my veins. That southern distrust. <laughs> I was going to, so for, like I was saying, for the Vegas yeah. trip, the Luxor, which is a, did I stay there? No, I didn't stay there. I went to the Titanic Museum there. It's apparently supposed to be haunted. This is like the Pyramid <gasps> Resort okay. in Vegas. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's huge inside, but people say it's haunted. They also say the MGM is haunted because there was a huge fire there back in the 80s. They say the Luxor is haunted because during the construction, it was really difficult to build that because they were like, we're going to make a resort shaped like a pyramid. You can imagine like the design and like architectural nightmare yeah. that is for people, especially construction workers. Allegedly, 20 some odd construction workers died in the process by falling into <gasps> the foundation of the place and Vegas is a place that is notorious for covering up a lot of deaths there because I didn't realize this, but there are quite a few people who die in Vegas, mostly by suicide because they lose all of their money and they just kill themselves. Fun fact, actually not a fun fact, but (laughs) Vegas does not have any balconies in any of their hotels because it's a problem because of suicide. So the Luxor is a place where they think a lot of the construction people died and were buried into the concrete and it was never talked about or it was covered up and the construction continued. There have been a lot of people who have reported strange sightings there. And in the MGM, which is pretty much directly across the street, the fire that took place in the 80s up on like the 17th or 18th floor, people have said they've had experiences where they'll wake up in the middle of the night and they will like smell smoke in their room or the smoke detector will go off and they'll wake up and they'll look in the corner And they'll see someone standing there. And they'll see smoke in their room. Like, people have full-on, like, apparitions, hallucinations of spirit coming in. I know. 
I know. When I was there, I almost did like coverage on it, but I was like, I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm well, going to a buffet. <laughs> this is so timely because I still have never been to Vegas. And I'm I know. And I'm turning the big 3-0 this year, and I'm thinking <sighs> we do a Vegas trip and we do we, we, we go to something a little haunted. It's not the Cecil. We'll do that soon. But we could do <laughs> the Luxor. Stu, I will take you. I will plan a Google Doc itinerary for the entire thing. Okay, done. I, I will plan every bit of it for you. You absolutely should go to Vegas for the big 3-0. It'll be incredible. Let's do it. <sighs> That's in March, right? Your birthday's in March? Yeah. I have it written down. Hold on. I have a little... Um... March 9th, baby. Mark, yeah, I was like, I have a little document that has, it's literally labeled friends' birthdays. Because <laughs> I don't want to forget. Yes, I have Stu, March 9th. Aww, um, that's so sweet. Is is Jordan's January 1st? Sorry, Creepers, this is a personal conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I was going, um, I don't know. I couldn't find it, but I, I think it's it's definitely sometime no, 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 in January. No, 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 it's not January. She's a Leo. Oh, really? Yes, it's August. Oh, shoot. Okay. We're erasing this then. Yeah. Okay. But Couldn't find any evidence on when Cheyenne's is. I'll track that down later. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> should I just like invite Creepers to Vegas for my 30th? Oh, my God. Oh, well, <laughs> one other it. thing I was going to say, I'm going to see a bunch of Creepers when I do that panel because I got invited to um, Parapod yes. Festival. Okay, wait, tell me a little bit more about this. I don't know very much because okay. it was it literally came through as of today from my managers and they were like they want to give you a booth and they want to have you speak on a panel. Ah, oh my god! And I was like, it was like, do they know that I don't really usually I don't usually cover paranormal stories, but <laughs> girls willing to research? Yes, yes. Well, we we covered one, and I'm sure we covered, covered yeah. a bunch on TikTok. Not really. I'm gonna be dead honest. Yeah, it's mostly like the creepy pastas or it's true crime. Like paranormal usually falls out of my purview, but. I feel like I'm going to get there and the other panelists are going to be like, well, when we talk about like the Amityville horror case and I'm going to be like, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I And to, to piggyback on that. <laughs> to piggyback on that. Well, this has been quite the episode, Stu. Thank you for been... indulging me in oh, this you. very zealous, like look into the Brian Schaefer case. I, I hope that this case is a solve because I find it to be one of the great mysteries of like the disappearance um, world that people talk about online. Um, Creepers, please chime in below if you have access to the Spotify poll and or leave comments on YouTube wherever you're listening to this podcast to talk about what your theories are on the Brian Schaefer case. And I guess with that, should we say farewell? Should we say goodbye? Goodbye, Creepers. Bye, Creepers.